0: It was a little less than nine months ago we, we began a, a journey this school year together, looking at psalms, laments, and prayers of the Bible, and, and hopefully through their eyes seeing what we could learn about God, learn about how we interact with him, and even learn about ourselves in the process. And, and today this, this idea of soul speak comes wrapping up to a close. Now, in the days of the Old Testament and uh, in the days of Jesus, people prayed to all kinds of gods. Just like today, people look for help from all different kinds of places. And back in Jesus' day and back in the Old Testament, and I would argue a lot like today, a lot of what this, this seeking the gods for help looked like was getting it right. How do I say it the right way? How do I do the ritual in the right way? How do I conduct my life in the right way? How do I go to the right person or the right place who knows the secret of how to kind of stroke that God the right way so maybe he'll be predisposed to me? And the whole thing was based out of this idea of uncertainty. Because when you live in a world with a world view that there's all kinds of gods all over the place who control different facets of different things, but you don't really know how they all interplay. It kind of leaves you in this place of always wondering and always guessing, who's on my side? Who do I have to get off my back? How does this God think of me? Because one thing was absolutely certain in the ancient world and in the day of Jesus. There was no sense of an idea that the gods loved me. The best way, honestly, to think about the gods in the ancient world is the same way you think about the mob. It's the mafia. They are powerful and have influence. They are dangerous and at best, maybe they'll ignore me and I can get on with my life without interference. At worst, they're coming to get me and I better do what's ever in my power to pay them off and keep the peace. This is how people thought about the gods in the ancient world. This is how I think many people think about God today. Not far from the idea of a mob boss, who at worst is someone who is out to get you and that you have to appease, or who at best is someone that maybe you can garner a little favor from if you do the right things. There's a a prayer I want to show you here. Today, It comes from around the time of Moses, but it doesn't come from the people of Israel or Moses, but from other people who were seeking the gods out of that place of uncertainty in their day. And, and, and here's how it goes. The Lord, in his anger of heart, looked at me. The God, in the rage of his heart, confronted me. When the goddess was angry with me, She made me become ill. So you get the idea, the guy's sick, right? Why am I sick? Because she's mad at me. The God whom I know or do not know has placed suffering upon me. Is it the one I suspect? Or is it one that I didn't even know that I crossed unwittingly? And although I am looking constantly for help, No one takes me by the hand. When I weep, they do not come to my side. I utter laments, but no one hears me. Straight up, is that like not the most depressing thing you've ever read? But I find people think of God this way. My experience is that today most people pray, regardless of what they believe even if they claim to be agnostic, even many who claim to be atheists, I know, at certain times and in certain ways, pray. But I think a lot like these ancient people, a lot of times I think when a lot of us pray, it's almost coming from that same place of uncertainty. Now there's a, a passage in a psalm that I think is just so breathtakingly clear of the human condition. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I think most people pray because this is true. I think whatever we claim to believe, the reality is somewhere deep within our hearts there is a thirst for God, a hunger for God, a desire that there is a transcendent power or being who is bigger and in control and we hunger for it. But then when left in that place of uncertainty, we start trying to fill that that hunger with fabrications of our own making of who this God might happen to be. And, and, And you even see this reflected in the Psalms at times. People just kind of looking around, absorbing in the universe, or looking inside and absorbing in themselves and trying to kind of make heads or tail. Who is this God that we thirst for? Some people just look at creation. Some people look and, and they look around and they see how everything works so Perfectly. And when I say perfectly, don't misunderstand that to mean good, but understand it to mean orderly. You look at the world, right? And things work in a certain way that seem to have a certain precision, a certain dependency on one another to the nth degree that makes you step back and goes, there's got to be a mind behind this. It's just too intricate. And balanced at play, and some people reflecting on the universe around them go, there must be a God who is orderly, a God who brings order out of things, a God who creates. Some people look at the universe and and just stand amazed. You gaze at the stars in a place where there isn't light pollution, you gaze at something like the colors in a stone or, or the intricacy of an animal. It can be large. It can be small. You can look at the galaxies. You can look at a cell. Some people just stand amazed and go, this God must be amazing. How did the song put it? Indescribable. Beautiful. Wonderful. Trying to figure out from what they absorb around them who this God might be. And others look at the same universe and discover that he's wild, even unpredictable, maybe. And can I go so far as to say, cruel. Lions devour zebras. Dogs chase squirrels. People blow up music venues. Insects fight for food. Storms level towns. It isn't a stretch to look at the world around and come to the conclusion that it's a cruel place. That this place of order, this place of beauty is also chaotic and cruel and people hungering for God and thirsting for God try to, I think, make sense of God in their place of uncertainty and glean from what they see around and fabricate a God to take that place. There's a, a movie, I think, that illustrates this amazingly. I don't know if you remember it. It was back in... Uh, I think, 98 or 99, called The Thin Red Line. It was, it, it was a film based on an autobi, uh, autobiographical account of, of a man who, who lived and fought in Guadalcanal in the Second World War. And the movie is a little bit different than the classic war movies like Saving Private Ryan or, or Platoon, if you go to the Vietnam era, or even more of the modern day ones like 13 Hours or Black Hawk Down that you might see today. Because going through this movie, you see this intentional juxtaposition of two things, nature as beautiful and nature as cruel. And there's a thin red line that separates it. You follow different soldiers who are experiencing what it's like to be in the heat of battle, and you're seeing the horror of war. While on the very opposite side of the island, other soldiers in the exact same place are marveling at stars they've never seen, are enjoying the waves crashing on the shore, are admiring the beauty of, of an animal or a tree. The movie, even within the same battle scenes, will show everything from the horrors of war to sometimes a Buddhist monk serenely meditating while the combat and conflict goes around him. But it's easy in our uncertainty to fabricate who we think this God is supposed to be, but we hunger for him. We thirst for him. We pray to him. But for many, I think, in that place of uncertainty, sometimes it's not too different than what it was like for those pagans of old, almost coming from a place of desperation. It's, it's like, you know, has prayer ever felt like a Hail Mary pass? I don't really know who you are and I don't really know what you're going to do with it and I don't know what's going to come from it, but at least I'm going to throw it out there hoping that, well, how did the line put it? Someone I know or do not know is there to receive it on the other end. And then the Bible comes along and records the stories and the accounts of the people of Israel up through the time of Jesus. With this constant message of, let me tell you about God in a different kind of way. Let me tell you about a God who listens. A God who cares. Let me just show you some of these. From the Psalms. It says, God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Numbers 21 records it this way. The Lord listened to Israel's plea. Deuteronomy 30, love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. It shows it's a God who not only listens, but a God who speaks. Just how one passage puts it. Even through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to the people. I will speak in every conceivable way this passage is getting at, to get them to listen. And you see God's frustration in the passage. It's almost a, why won't they listen when I speak? And some of my favorite passages are the ways that seem to describe God the way that I kind of think like a dad trying to coach his three-year-old along who's trying to explain something? Have you ever had this moment? Your, your three-year-old is trying to explain something to you and you kind of know what they're trying to say better than what they know how to explain and so you're, you're kind of walking them through. You're kind of extracting it out. I love how Paul writes that the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness, We don't even know what to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes with us, with groans even at times, that words cannot express. Or as Jesus put it, when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask. People in today's world, just like days of long ago, pray. But so much of that praying comes from a place I find of uncertainty and therefore fear. But the God of the Bible comes along and says you no longer have to be uncertain. You no longer have to be afraid. I know you can look at what goes at the world around you and try to extrapolate from it who I am. I know you can look at what churns inside you and try to extrapolate from it who I am. But let me do better, this God says. Let me tell you who I am. Let me show you who I am. And what I'm like. And what I'm up to. And why you can pray in a different kind of way. See, all this year, we've been looking at these psalms and prayers and laments of the Bible. And for us, it was never meant to just be a kind of trivia challenge. Oh, that's a good one. From the very beginning, it was always meant to give us an idea of who this God is. So that when we pray, we can pray not from that place of uncertainty or fear, but to pray a different way. To go there is a God who listens, a God who speaks, a God who cares, a God who shows us himself, a God who comes down, a God who said, touch me, a God who said, listen to me, a God who said, watch what I do, and a God who said, look at what I do for you. This is the God God. That your soul thirsts for. This is the God that your soul speaks. Trust me in this. Trust me. Pray. Seek me. Call out to me. And whatever is going on around. And wherever your mind wants to draw conclusions, make sure you root it. First and foremost, in this way. Because this is who I am. And hopefully this last year has helped you do that. Or hopefully at the least it's opened some doors to start moving from uncertainty, from uncertainty to confidence, into assurance and hope. Hopefully, today you're praying differently than you did nine months ago from this date. And hopefully it's just the beginning of what God wants to keep showing you more and more.